Bertirot, Zedo Biha. Welcome to Krona Biha Short Stories and Poetry for February 2nd, 2024. I'm Terence O'Donnell, your Irish Calais. Welcome once again. Take a little time out from your busy day to listen to more stories and poems. Maybe grab a cup of something warm as I try to charm you with this week's selections. In this, the second day of Imbolc, we is when we start the annual celebration of Bridget, the ancient Gaelic goddess of poetic inspiration, fire, and the beginnings of spring. I have four short stories and a poem for you. A new science fiction serial story to start with, the second part of the poem from last week read to us by the author, Robert J. Longfrey's tenth chapter from Sanctuary, and a short story from my favorite Bulgarian writer. So I won't keep you long here, as I sure you'd rather hear the story as a poem instead of me just blathering along. Just a reminder that I have a small advert after the readings before I close out the show. Please stick around and learn how to support my work a little. Thank you. Now for my first story of the week, and as I said, this is the start of a another serialized story. I've got more chapters coming in the following weeks. And this is called From Beyond the Water Wall. Chapter 1 of 26, he says here, entitled The Travel by Don Woodby. He published this in the Fiction Writer's Den. Mars' vision was numb. He lay on a cold, hard bed, and a silhouette stood on top of him. His right arm felt somehow wet. He tried to move his fingers, but he couldn't find them. He struggled to remember how he got there. The ship, he thought to himself, a shipwreck. The last thing that came to his mind was the gunshot. The loud crack. The pain in his forearm as he fell into the waterfall. The silhouette slowly mutated into a woman. Beautiful. Is that my wife, he wondered. She looked younger, though, but definitely her. She screwed something in his arm. He was scalding, but it didn't hurt. Unable to move his head, he twisted his eyes until he could see it. His forearm was missing. She welded something there. He tried to open his lips, but the words didn't come out. Slowly, the memories of the last two days came back. Calm doesn't lead to happiness, and comfort is not always a pillar of satisfaction. Growing accustomed to their own fortune is no strange feeling to many passionate partners. One can hold on to what was once exaltation, but carelessness rises from routine. Nonetheless, as Mars watched Wren getting dressed after all those years, it felt as invigorating as the first time. When you look at something, you're actually choosing what to ignore. When he looked at her, he dropped everything else. I think you should get up now, Wren said, removing her long, dark hair from her face. He looked deep into her narrow, almond-shaped eyes and smiled slightly. The plane only takes off in seven hours. She didn't answer. Instead, a slight smirk showed on her face. Don't worry, I'm going to get up now. Do you think your mom already got woo-woo ready? She jumped and pulled her jeans up. Mars smiled, tilting his head to the side and lifting his thick eyebrows. If I were to guess, they are both ready and waiting downstairs. He got up quickly and put on a pair of pants and a plain black shirt. His things were inside the bag. Wren had already taken care of it. He could always wake up a bit later. Mars led the way downstairs, carrying this heavy black suitcase. Wren followed him closely. She carried a dark green backpack with her, all her extra stuff. Perhaps she was afraid most of her clothes wouldn't be enough for the two weeks they would be away. 
In the middle of the living room, on a dark vintage couch, Nice sat beside Woo-Woo. They touched their hands together, playing, fully absorbed in each other. The woman was eighty, but looked as if she were in her early seventies. Her brown hair flailed as she lifted the girl out of the couch. Woo-Woo was five, and her dark straight hair went down a little below her neck. Her eyes very similar to Wren's, sparkled as she saw her parents walking toward them. Mommy, Grandma and niece made me breakfast and dressed me up, the girl shouted excitedly, as if narrating a very spectacular and unbelievable chain of events. Red grabbed her by the hand and began walking toward the door as Mars gave his mother a peck on the cheeks. Thanks for taking care of everything, Mom, he said, looking into her light green eyes. It's always a pleasure. Woo-woo is such a smart kid, she replied as she put on her green jacket. Let's get going, darling. We have a lot to catch up on. At the door, a cab waited for them. Mars opened the back seat, waited for them to get inside, and sat in the front seat. Woo talked the whole way, mostly unintelligible inner conversations about the car plates. Nice did her best to entertain her. The small airport was crowded. As soon as they got in, Mars held Woo's hands tightly and rushed ahead as if trying to escape the mob. You guys go have some coffee, he said, looking at Ren. I'm going to walk a bit with Woo-Woo. There was a slight antithesis between the airport activity, with travelers rushing in and out, and the slow, cloudy steam that flew from the paper cups Ren and Nice held. Ren looked around as if searching for something. Nice's eyes were quiet, facing nowhere. The silence revealed more than a hit. The two women could stay quiet for a while without feeling agitated. Nice finally broke the stillness. We don't usually get some alone time, just the two of us. Tell me a bit more about how your lives are going. Are you managing to get some time just for the two of you? Wren took a sip of her coffee, moving her long hair away from her face, and smiled timidly. It's always a challenge, but we usually find a way to manage it, she said. You know, me and Mars, we can both work from home, which comes in handy most of the time. And now you are here helping take care of Woo-Woo, which will make it a lot easier. Nice nodded enthusiastically. One of my biggest pleasures has always been spending time with my kids. Mars always told me about that, and how you both used to sit in bed reading, and when both were too tired to read, you just chatted trivialities as much as deeper conversations. Nice smiled and looked up as if reminiscing about the distant past. You know, I actually chose to retire earlier. I earned less than I could. Never regretted it. My kids have always been my priority. Of course, you still need to have the time for just the two of you. I see the way he looks at you, and I am certain he has never been this happy. Wren smiled, not only with her lips, but also with her teary eyes. I can feel it. I know that if anything happened, he would go through hell to protect me. Well, he's always been abnormally into action movies, and he laughed. You think I don't know that? He got it after his father, she spoke on top of Wren's words. Speaking of that, Wren said timidly, and then she paused for a moment. How did you manage to stay friends with his dad after the divorce? Nice looked to the side and thought for some time. There's no secret to that. Just know how to choose who you're going to marry. Is it someone you admire even outside of a relationship with you? Is it someone who you would rather see happy far away from you than miserable with you? Then you choose right. She then silenced and grinned. Of course, you should choose a good-looking partner, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's perfectly fine if you love an ugly person but you better hope your kids don't take after them. It's not their fault you have bad taste. Both chortled and, between one laugh and the other, finished drinking her coffee. They kept chatting, 
each second finding more common ground until they noticed their loved ones returning from the walk. We should board now, Mars said. They stepped out of the plane and jumped straight into a cab. The trip had been long. Wu had sat quietly beside her grandmother during the entire journey. A magnificent ship stood tall, anchored at the beach. The somewhat vintage design, painted in black with wooden undertones, caught Ren's attention. She had always appreciated the beautiful aesthetics of antique architecture. From a distance, crew members loaded the ship with heavy dark bags. They looked around fast, as if constantly searching for something. Wu gawked at them until she got distracted by the distant sound of the birds. The inside of the ship seemed to come straight from the 1920s. As they walked towards their rooms, they observed the many parts of the common area. Different types of restaurants, a concert hall, and a large bar. Behind the counter, a man dressed in an elegant suit bowed energetically as they passed by. At the back of the Chinese restaurant, crew members unloaded large bags into a basement through a narrow door. One of them wore a small sleeve shirt that partially revealed a tattoo which caught Mars's attention. He had already seen that same pattern somewhere, or at least he thought he had. As they passed by the concert hall, a middle-aged, dark-skinned lady wearing a long red dress stood in front of a microphone on the stage. Behind her, some musicians played amongst themselves. What do you think they're going to play, Mars questioned. Probably some background jazz music for dinner time, Wren answered, promptly noticing a big contrabass leaning on the wall. They passed through the concert hall and reached the stairs that led to the accommodations area. Their rooms were on the second floor, so no elevator was required. Mars went ahead, carrying his as well as Nisa's bag up the stairs, keeping a serene countenance despite the struggle. We should get some rest now. We see each other for dinner, Mars said to Nice as he opened the door and stepped inside, dropping her baggage. He then waved and went to the door. The room was very spacious, adorned with trance yellow and red carpets and a mix of Indian and Chinese styles. A broad table was placed on the corner. On top of it, there was a bottle of wine and two glasses. The bed was very large, and the silk sheets almost dragged the couple inside them. The vintage tone was only broken by a modern television screwed to the wall. While they lay on the bed, it was clear how much this vacation time was needed. Their embrace was tight, built like a fortress, shielding everything away. The excitement was the same as years before, but with a calmness that only time could bring. Perhaps some sleep could restore their energy, but the only thing on their mind was doing what was already a habit. Some might think we long for what we cannot have. While this may be true sometimes, the only thing they longed for was the same passion they had shared every day. After a moment of chatting, Mars leaned on top of her and kissed her forehead. He slowly made his way to her mouth and embraced her tightly. She rolled over and rested her chest on his. Nap time was postponed for later. When they stood up again, the last beams before sunset entered through the window. It had come unnoticed to both of them, but the room had a remarkable ocean view with the deck. Wren got up first and went outside to check it while putting on her robe. You look so beautiful, he said, standing up and grabbing his shirt. I'm going to knock her in their room and tell them we are ready for dinner. The group arrived at the dining area, and, as expected, a woman jazzed very lightly, followed by a string quartet. The waiter was dressed in a traditional black and white tuxedo. He greeted them at the entrance and guided them to their table. They talked through the night, mostly trivialities, sometimes deeper subjects. Wu wasn't interested. The girl noticed some movement behind the restaurant and decided to go take a look. Always curious, she needed to know things. It wasn't unnatural for her to wander around scrutinizing random occurrences. 
She climbed past a wooden barrier and peeked down the stairs. Some men loaded up translucent crystals that looked like big rocks of salt. The men were very concentrated on their task, failing to notice that she carefully crept down the stairs. Suddenly, one of them caught a glimpse of the girl. Her curiosity was bigger than her sense of urgency. She stood there, fully paralyzed, wanting to know what was going on down there. The man stood up and rushed toward her. She looked deeply into his elongated eyes. His hair was long, and he wore a white shirt with blue suspenders. As Wu tried to move back, the man grabbed her shoulder with his right hand. Do you want to see what's inside here, little girl? He said with a grim smile on his countenance as he pointed to the other men. What are we going to do with her? One of the men asked with a trembling voice. I'm not sure, he answered and paused for a moment. We may have to keep her here for the next few days to make sure she doesn't tell anything. It will be too suspicious, one of them said. It's just one day anyway, he said. They will drop us here tomorrow. Another man sat somewhat farther away in a corner, playing with a knife, spinning it on the floor. He was thin and a bit darker than the others, but had similar features. He paused for a moment, then looked at the others and said, grinning, Want me to take care of her, boss? Now, my next is a poem. It's the second part of Love Incomplete by Danielle Mustafa. And I'm going to be playing this in her own words. She published this in Heartspeak. Love Incomplete, or Once Upon a Time, Part 2. Once upon a time, you said you loved me, and I built my life on that. I poured my foundation solely on the love I planned to give back. I did what was needed to make you the center of my world. I moved heaven and hell to prove that I was your only girl. Once upon a time, you said you loved me, and I believed you. Yes, I did. I reshaped myself to receive the love that you promised to give. Chameleon style, I adjusted me to provide what you said you would need. I reshaped my path to fit your goals because I did believe. Once upon a time, you said you loved me, and I, I question your understanding of that. Your offer of love doesn't match my love, and it's simply too late to send it back. Once upon a time has taken us here, a place I never wanted to be. We are in a place where you refuse to trust in me. You don't trust me to love you. You don't trust me to think. You don't trust me to be truthful for reasons that are beyond me. Once upon a time, I could look in your eyes and I swear I saw my whole world. Now as I look you in the eye, you accuse me of lies unobserved. You continue to say you love me and I cannot say I believe. Either you lie, can't define, or you're a bit dull, my dear as you simply cannot love me and believe what you do of me. Only a dolt would tether himself to a liar, a fool, or a thief. My third is a story, another short story. This from David from David Pahor. It's called Maiden's Petals, published in Illuminated Curated. Why would a program devise vertical pupils. The, the sense of utter strangeness hit me the moment we jumped into that world. Unsettled, I frantically tried to determine the roots of its otherness. Was it the crazy sky with the sun descending below a moon possibly close? Perhaps it was the subdued shades of the broad heavens and gently rolling hills, or was it the sweet perfume in the air with a hint of decay? 
The girl let go of my hand and gestured at the ground around us on that high plateau with gravity that made each step a rebound. She was so beautiful it pained me to look at her for more than a few seconds, and her voice was a stream of pulsating honey flooding my core. Either I'm in a reality simulation, or she is using some damn advanced tech, I thought wildly. But if I'm inside a program, why would it create her with only four toes and fingers and vertical pupils? Then I realized there was no sound, none whatsoever, not a rustle, not a whisper. I could see the petals moving in the deathly quiet breeze, with our voices being the only acoustic sensation. The silence was absolute. She spoke, fluttering my heart. The lavender formations on the low shrubbery were the only blossoms in that universe, growing uniquely on the outcrop beneath our feet. They contained immense power. She would give me space to think it over. I watched her perch on a nearby boulder with her back to me, her gorgeous legs golden by the plunging glow, and the long strawberry blonde hair merged with the shadows of approaching nightfall. I stood there for minutes, perhaps centuries, my thoughts in disarray. A waft of cooler air drove me to shiver, and I cried out the question to her, yet she just sat there, true to her word, waiting for me to arrive at the most important decision in my life. What happens if I pick the flowers? And now we have Robert J. Longpray's 10th chapter in Sanctuary, Final Trip to His Home in the City, Signs of a City in Trouble. Ten days have gone by without anything more being said. Anne's father had died, according to Anne's mother. Two days earlier, her mother had stopped communicating. News of the growing panic in the world outside of their protective bubble had subdued almost everyone. Online classes began to shut down, assistance began to fail. It was time for another sortie into the outer world by the four men. This will likely be our last time to do this, Dorian informed Ben, Carl, and Carrie. More than anything else, we'll be observing what is happening out there, which is not finding its way onto the internet. We won't get very many supplies, as they will not be needed if everyone agrees to travel with us. For those who choose to stay, there will be more than enough supplies to last them for quite a while. Dad, is there anything you want me to get? Get something special for Anne. I will get something for your mom and sister. Ben and Carl will also be getting a few special items as well. What do you mean by special? Son, if Anne agrees to go with us, it will be forever. Perhaps a ring or a necklace or whatever you think will have meaning for her to not give up hope. She is hurting a lot, Carrie. She needs you now more than ever. Carrie nodded to indicate he understood what his father was saying. We meet back here late tomorrow night. Be safe. The traffic was busier than normal as Carey made his way back to his hometown. However, rather than heading into the city, the vehicles were going away from it. During the week, it was usually the reverse, country folk heading to the city for shopping or medical appointments. The most disturbing part of seeing the cars and trucks heading out, with most of the trucks hauling camper trailers, was the determined looks on the faces of the drivers. There were only rare vehicles that didn't have passengers, and whatever remaining spaces there were left filled with whatever could be crammed into them. There was no doubt this was an exodus. But where were they going, and why? It got worse the closer he got into the city. The oncoming traffic had slowed down because of the numbers. He could hear the honking of horns betraying the anger and impatience of those who were held up by the traffic. He had to be careful. Several times he had to drive cautiously off the edge of the pavement as other drivers tried to pass the long line of cars and trucks and recreational vehicles. 
Even though there were very few trying to reach the city, it was a slow journey. Carrie already began to question how he would be able to make it back to the cabin later that night. An hour later than expected, he pulled up in front of his parents' home. The cul-de-sac appeared deserted, quieter than normal. He didn't bother to pull into the garage in order to avoid notice. Not wasting any time, he rushed into the house after keying in his security code. The first stop was the basement where his father kept his hunting rifles under lock and key. His father had anticipated they might be necessary before they could leave the planet. His dad also wanted to make sure that anyone who decided not to leave the cabin area would have the means to protect themselves. Dorian was certain violent times were on the horizon of the not-too-distant future. Kerr was surprised at the amount of ammunition he found for the three rifles and the one handgun. Obviously, his father had been stockpiling for quite some time. He decided he needed to move the jeep into the garage after all, as he didn't want anyone to see what he was putting into it. Once the guns and ammunition were loaded, he added the fishing rods and tackle boxes. They were intended for those who chose to remain. Finally, he went into his parents' room to retrieve a small box on the top shelf in the closet above his father's hanging shirts. There was nothing of his mother's to collect. Leslie wanted too much and was forced to choose only two things. She chose a poster and the autographed photo of a figure skater. Knowing what was going to happen next, where they were going, Carrie was still undecided about what he should take. It was going to be the last time he would be in this house. With the required items already packed in the jeep, he simply wandered through the house, committing the images of what he saw to his memory. For him, these mental images were more important than things. As he made his way through the house, it dawned on him. The deck of cards he had bought when the family visited Las Vegas, the magician's cards, and a small booklet of magic tricks. He could use them to entertain the children back at the cabin. He exited the house and walked to Anne's place. Like Leslie and Carrie's mother, she wasn't aware that this would be the last trip Carrie would take to her house. Thinking only of her father and her mother, she asked for Carrie to bring her father's favorite mug and warm toque and her mother's scarf and mitts. Returning to his house, he didn't bother locking up. He placed the last items in the Jeep and drove to the nearby strip mall to get gas for the Jeep and have a load of burger and fries at the burger hut. Surprisingly, the mall wasn't as busy as he expected to find it. With his late lunch finished, he went to the pharmacy to stock up on a list of items that Bertha had requested. Entering the store, he was surprised to see some of the shelves almost empty. Most of the items on the list were in short supply. It would mean a different stop at a different drugstore to get the remainder. Taking the package to the front counter, he noticed that the prices displayed on the terminal didn't match the price stickers on the items that had been scanned. It says fourteen ninety five on the package. You just rang up twenty seven ninety five. He protested. I just scanned the item. The manager has raised the prices and hasn't had time to change the price tags. I can't do anything about it. The woman replied. It was obvious she wasn't in the least interested in her job. As she added, "If you don't want it, just say no. It's no skin off my nose." Carrie paid using his dad's credit card, which was still valid. Taking the bag of supplies to the jeep, he pulled into the gas bar and went through the process of filling up the Jeep's tank and two extra gas cans. Remembering the line on the highway out of town, he decided he might need another two gas cans in case the gas station's end route ran out of gas. He wasn't surprised at how the cost of gas had more than doubled. Kerry was sure the price was likely to rise even more in, in before many days. My last story is called Within Their Dreams, An Unexpected World by Mariana Bolsarava from Bulgaria. She was just a dream, but this dream was like a reality 
It was half-life. It was half-existence. It was a boundary to cross where he became a different man. He did not know who she was. Did she exist somewhere? She was Oleana, his dream lover. He did not know how he reached there and met her. She did not know either. It was a mystery, but they traveled in the same dream almost every night. Almost every night. He felt abandoned when she did not come to his dream. His mind screamed, Where are you, Oleana? Then she whispered directly in his thoughts, I cannot reach you, Storm. Her words came somewhere from the vastness of the dreamy world. Storm suffered when they could not be together within the dream. The other day, his life seemed empty and dull. He could not concentrate on his job. His thoughts flew, lonely and desperate. Who was she? Was she real? Did she live somewhere? Where? His questions were torture for his mind. They made him feel insecure and confused. Sometimes he blamed himself for his crush. How could he fall in love with a dream? It was ridiculous. Part of him thought he was going crazy. Part of him embraced his craziness. It was magical. Magical craziness. They did not need words. They talked so naturally like the breathing was. They exchanged thoughts without any effort. She read his mind. He read hers. No boundaries. No limits. He must have felt too vulnerable, but he did not. In the dreamy world, he did not need to hide. He did not need to pretend to be someone else. All was clear. All was said. They had no secrets. Was it possible? In daylight, Storm thought it was all a figment, but his soul longed for the unity he had with Oleana. He felt almost physical pain when he thought he might lose her, his dream lover, the lover of his dreams. Was she so perfect because he had fabricated her? Had he any reason to be afraid for his sound mind? As a convenient answer to his worries, he met his old friend from high school, Tom. Tom was a psychoanalyst. Besides, Storm was trying to convince himself to meet a specialist and talk about his dreams because he became more vivid and overwhelmed his senses. Last night she came, wearing a light blue long dress. Her night dark straight hair shined. There were numerous pearl drops in it. Storm could not breathe. He felt so mesmerized. He felt so excited. Not just mentally, but his body was excited. She felt the same. Then Storm just took her in his hands and kissed her with all the passion that burnt him. He wanted her so strong, unimaginably strong. The attraction between them was so violent. He could not stop himself. She did not stop him. They made love. How many times? He did not remember. He just, he remembered just the pleasure. His senses were shrouded in mist, in bliss. What was going on with his mind? This wasn't normal. It was a frenzy. He had to do something. Storm talked to Tom like a friend, not a psychoanalyst. He retold everything about Oleana. He also shared how he felt next to her. I don't want to lose her, but I know it drives me crazy, Storm admitted. Maybe you feel too lonely and that's why you dream about her. Storm knew it was true. For three years he worked at home. His girlfriend left him without any plausible excuse. She left him and burned all bridges between them. It was so easy, she blocked him everywhere. A part of him felt it was even better. They were together almost like an obligation, by habit. The dreamy love of the Oleana was so... He had never felt such feelings. Tom suggested, You can come here to talk. No one knows exactly how the human brain works. We can even go out for a drink and talk, informally. Some days later, Storm came to the psychiatric clinic where Tom practiced. And saw her, Oleana. She was in the garden, sitting alone on a bench, wearing a light blue nightgown. Her long hair, black as night, was uncombed and dirty. She stared at him, but her eyes were empty. And Storm remembered how once Oleana told him 
but she could not find her way within the dream when they did not allow her. She probably had been talking about her physicians or the medication they gave her. And that's all the stories I have for you this week. Um, I'm hoping I've given you some to think about. So listen to my little advert as we go along here, and I'll see you again next week. Sláinte. I want to take this time to ask for a donation of any amount to help me keep this podcast going, if you can, and to also explain how to find my website and what's inside when you arrive at the door. My podcast will remain free to subscribe to on all the major podcast apps, at Substack for the first month, and on my YouTube channel, Krana Biha. I have set up a donation link on Krana Biha Stories and Poetry at rss.com, and a donation is paid on my website at www. Dot .kranabiha.com, all using PayPal for your security. Think of it as me passing my hat around to you at the end of my visit each week. If you like this podcast, please share it with everyone you know in your social circles as the writers I showcase in this podcast deserve all the exposure they can get. I created this podcast for them because I love to read their work and I believe it should be shared with the world. Now I want to explain how to find my website. Since this show is audio only, just type in www.cranna-beatha.com in your browser and search for it. The website domain name is Gaelic and may be a little hard to find unless you know what you're looking for. Then bookmark it if you like it. I also have the RSS feeder enabled, so if you like my blog posts, you can be notified whenever I post something new. Search for www.cranna-beatha.com in your RSS feeder and set it up. Users finding the website for the first time will reach the welcome page to learn a little bit of what's inside. There you'll see the homepage link at the bottom of the page. On the homepage, you can learn a little more about what Crown of Beha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little bit more about me in general. On the menu bar at the top, there are links to all the pages in the website. The blog section where I post podcast newsletters, blog articles, stories and poems, and a drop-down podcast menu with links to both podcasts, a donations page, an ad page to purchase my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. Thank you for your patronage and support. Gora Mahagan, thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed the variety of stories and poems again this week. Maybe one of them might touch your heart a little. Disclosure for everyone, in order to read the complete stories and poems, you will need to sign up for subscription in Medium. If I see a link by the author on one of the stories to allow everyone to read it, I will let you know in the newsletters. Please return again next week for another episode of Cron de Bia Stories and Poetry. As a show to Kate, I want to continue to delight you with a story or poem that may bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. Long life and fair health to you. Salfada Agosprecht. Slancha to cut. Slango foil. Goodbye for now.